Ah, yes, here we all are again, gathered around. Uh, uh, it's, it's a sharing the earbuds, I don't know, wherever we are, uh, intaking another overnight scape central. And yeah, this is the first of two parts on the Beatles. And we, we had a very short lead time for this instance I've, I've, I've gotten this show so far off schedule and it may remain forever teetering through time and space uh slightly off schedule for all future time i mean as i've said many times um the, the fact that i have kept it more or less weekly uh, for so many years i mean there was the jimbo year which gave me some grace in catching up with myself but uh, i'm not the sort of person to go for how many years every week reliably this is uh, this is a new phenomenon um and i can't say that it's a bad thing i mean reliability is certainly um counted on and uh, people hey look you, you can trust this guy he's been here every week right oh yeah and uh, i go on and on but we're here to talk about the Beatles. And uh, we're going to hear from, of course, Frank Edward Norris in the house. But uh, before we hear from Frank, uh, we got a surprise. Uh, the artist Shaman Q, Ayakel, who is now basically operating out of Mexico, usually Tula, doing his shamanistic and Tolteca work and his art uh, out in the field. Uh, sent us a segment and we had a little chat. I thought he would include some of the insights that he pointed out to me uh, in our chat, which I will get back to because uh, this is, he pointed out a couple things that uh, make for an interesting phenomena connected with these four young men from Liverpool who in many ways changed the world, changed music, and undeniably so. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, get the ball rolling. I'll hand the floor over to the artist, Shaman, and uh, we'll be back and talk about the Beatles. I remember the first time I saw the Beatles was also the last time that was in San Francisco at Candlestick Park. And I went there with my high school girlfriend. It was to be the Beatles' last live show ever. So walking into the big stadium with a plethora of screaming young females was an awesome performance piece in itself. When the Beatles came out onto the baseball diamond, they were surrounded by police officers and the stage was in the middle of this large field. Very difficult to actually hear them. As a matter of fact, I remember hearing the circle, the opening act, playing Red Rubber Ball prior to the Beatles' arrival, which you could hear because none of the uh, young ladies were screaming. Here come the Beatles. They run out onto the stage and the wave, including my high school girlfriend, having an orgasm next to me, which had never occurred in my presence, I realized that a girl can be turned on by a mythical, legendary actor, or in this case, musicians, much more than the physical manifestation sitting right next to her. There she was screaming, having an orgasm with the rest of the girls. 
Well, the highlight for the actual concert was when the Beatles played um, Paperback Rider and Ticket to Ride. Because at that time, everybody tried to get to them. Young men jumped over the barriers that had been placed up the silicone fences and began running towards the Beatles, being pursued by police officers. There was chaos on the field. The Beatles um, fans were being chased by the police officers. Chaos was ensuing. The Ticket to Ride was being played. And we were all having a much better time watching the, what can I say, performance piece of a stadium alive with running and pursuit and tackling all to the soundtrack of the Beatles. Oh, the effect, the effect they had on women. That was like, uh, what, before them there was Frank Sinatra, um, people like that, uh, well, Martin and Lewis, but that was... Can you imagine Martin and Lewis causing women to have orgasms back in the 50s? I mean, Frank Sinatra almost makes sense, and they didn't dare say that about the young ladies who were swooning in the aisles at the what, Paramount Theater uh, for Frankie. But, yeah, there was something going on there, and that kind of phenomenon... Uh, that's a powerful thing. Can you imagine having that? I think Elvis did it. I'm not sure. Uh, that's just... that. That's a form of charisma that is beyond my wildest uh, imagination. Um, and, and I said, we had a little uh, talk back and forth uh, about the Beatles. Uh, it's amazing. I can communicate with somebody even though they are doing very secretive special work way in Tula, Mexico. The technology, us old people, we're just, you know. Anyways, I mentioned uh, I have distinct memories of going, being taken to see the Beatle movie, their first one, A Hard Day's Night, when it came out in the theaters because I was a little kid and I loved the Beatles. My aunt, who wasn't much older, I mean, she was maybe, what, 13, 12? Took, I, if this is 1964, so I would have to be three and change, you know, three and a half, three and three quarters. And I remember being taken to see Hard Day's Night, even certain parts of it, sort of. Uh, but this is how deep. But I mentioned that, and Ayakel, the artist Shaman Q, said, the effect of the Beatles, and I'm reading now, is connected with place. Just as you remember the theater of Hard Day's Night, their sorcery was connected with the exact place one heard their next new tune. Now, this phenomenon would only be recognizable, I suppose, by those who are old enough to be there when, you know, in the wheel of time when these songs actually came out. But he's right, thinking back, there are, I mean, it's like the JFK assassination. I can really recall all these moments 
all of which I think are before I'm nine or ten years old, when I was introduced to these Beatles songs. I mean, the bonding experience, I remember, and I think I've told this story before, my folks had split up, oh, about a year before, and uh, one evening, late afternoon, I remember my father coming over with a new record that looked really strange, uh, and we were going to listen to it, and it was a surprise. So he puts this record on it, bop, bop, bop you know, whatever, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And I remember sitting there reading the lyrics on the cover and just, there had never been an album cover like that before. That, that just wasn't. And it had opened up and they put the words right there so you could follow along and uh, I was an early reader so what the Sergeant Pepper came out I was six and a half I was reading and wow all these things the Beatles uh, people who now I mean yes that there are pe young people and you can see all these reaction videos on YouTube people allegedly I don't believe all of them being exp and I guess they are being exposed most of them to this music for the first time and they're re-releasing all this stuff and I was gonna watch it maybe I will watch it in this week between part one and part two the um get back movie which just i have so many negative connotations attached to the let it be album even though there are some songs on it that i'm kind of fond of songs like one let it be uh the long and winding road to me in that day especially this was like you took my favorite band in the world and you, they went and they made like liver or something treacle sandwiches i don't know but just hard just oh oh please and, and now that i'm older it I, just, I can have some appreciation for it but as you may well imagine, all those songs, Eleanor Rigby, it's, it's, it's rock and roll, or at least something that's too serious, too, I don't know, when you're a kid. And, I mean, I even knew, I had listened to Revolution Number 9 enough times that I literally knew where everything was in that giant audio collage soundscape thing that they put on their white album at the end and I, I don't know how many people made it like a minute in and never listened to it again and skipped that side of the record because it was a double album but oh yeah and and the Beatles yeah the Beatles uh, for those of you younger, I mean, the Beatles, it's, it's four guys. The drummer, Ringo Starr, who was the last to join, uh, but his unique backbeats and style were integral to, the, the, it was an alchemy. 
like like uh, the artist shaman there there could well have been a form of sorcery that occurred because they took the world by storm you had Ringo Starr the drummer you had George Harrison who played the fancier lead guitar parts and usually sang backup vocals but as the Beatles developed he wrote and sang songs and soon became uh and he wrote some of the best Beatles songs granted not like that Beatles sound necessarily I mean a song like something which is one of the beautiful love songs that were ever written I don't know if that at one point I think it was the most covered song out there yet George and, and his tender uh moody guitar uh style that he developed over the years I mean somewhere between help the help movie uh and rubber's soul which would be their following chronological album uh they went through a possibly drug-influenced uh, shift. They were still doing very credible and commercial pop music, but there was this added experimental edge to the sound, the composition, certain horizons. I mean, they may not have been the actual innovators who did all of these things, but the things they picked up and put on their albums presented these things to a larger public for the first time in a way that they could approach it and it could be palatable. And I'm sure this has been said a million times before. Anyways, um, let's uh, go to our good friend, Frank Edward Nora, and uh, see what he has to um, say on this vital topic. I'm sitting here by my fireplace. It's a gas fireplace, so I don't have to worry about logs or things like that. You just press a button and it goes on. So let's have a fireside chat about the Beatles, shall we? I've been a big Beatles fan since, I think, around like 1989, 1990. So I was in my early 20s when I really got into the Beatles. I know that throughout my life I was hearing the songs in the background. I just didn't really know they were Beatles songs. Um, you know, I was born in 67. The Beatles were still going. Of course, that was the year of Sgt. Pepper's. And uh, I was not into... Uh, really a lot of popular music or classic rock or anything when I was growing up. What did I have? I had my parents' record collection, mostly my mother. A lot of show tunes, a lot of classical. So I, I didn't really uh, know the Beatles. And then my big musical awakening was with uh, MTV in the early days and the, the, the new wave music, Duran Duran especially, Men Without Hats, Men at Work, The Fix, all those kinds of bands. And then as the 80s wore on, I got into more of the, uh, I remember I went to the my county library. I was getting random records out. I discovered the Mahavishnu Orchestra. I, w I would take LPs out of the library and transfer them to cassettes, right? And uh, then I got into uh, Laurie Anderson um, and other kind of weird music. Laurie Anderson was great. And it really wasn't until a few years later i think mad mike of the you know from the anything but monday show was my college roommate for a few years there um actually only one year but then i did the radio show with him 
he was much more into classic rock. And I remember he had we had a record player in our office, and I don't know if he had Beatles, but I know he had uh, Rolling Stones, like the those compilations, like Through the Past Darkly and more phased cookies, things like that. And around that time, I guess, so the later 80s, somehow I started, I don't, I don't remember exactly what triggered it, I started getting into the Beatles. And I just, once I started, uh, I was just hooked. And I, I, I remember my own personal Beatlemania just, um, like I remember I somehow I got a copy of Abbey Road and... Uh, Listening to it for the first time, I think I had a I had it on a cassette tape. Maybe I don't know if it was a a cassette tape I bought I bought or I just transferred, got it out of the library and transferred it to, to a um, a cassette. But I remember I had one of those old like realistic tape recorders, you know the old tape recorders. I don't even know how to describe this. Like I, it, it's, it's just they used to all the tape recorders used to be the same way. Basically, it was like a little rectangle. You put the tape in, you put push the cover down, and then there were keys. So you would press down play, right? And it would start playing. And if you wanted to record, you had to press down play and record. It's such an alien concept today. Um, I remember listening to that song, She's So Heavy. She's so heavy. And then, it, you know, on the record, it just stops. I'm like, what? What happened to my... What happened to my tape? What, to my tape player? I remember driving around and I just put the tape player on the seat next to me because I didn't have a tape player in the in the car, whatever I was driving at the time. And I, I remember it was a big uh, time of discovery. Um, yeah, I remember going to the uh, Menlo Park Mall, which you know, I you know I'm so obsessed with the malls in New Jersey and the malls of my youth, but I think Menlo probably is my favorite of all of them because I had so many phases with Menlo. My first, uh, my earliest memories are at the Bambergers in Menlo and the, the fountain outside the Bambergers in the, in the old Menlo Park Mall. Um, I wasn't there for the first phase where it was like sort of an open air space Then they made it enclosed and then around 89, 90, they tore most of them all down and rebuilt it. Very strange, but they kept the... Um, uh, the Bambergers, which then eventually became a Macy's, uh, they kept that building there. So I remember, and in fact, I just went there a few a week or two ago, and I there's this one spot where you can look through this fence and see kind of like the old entrance to the mall and stuff, I think. You could see like stuff from that original mall. But anyway, I remember going there in the last days of the old mall and going to a record store, and I was looking for a Beatles record. I'm trying to remember what the, I was looking for. I think I was looking for the song Penny Lane. Because as I sort of got familiar with these songs, I may have heard it on the radio or something. Penny Lane, there is a fireman with an hourglass. And little children laugh at him behind his back. Uh, I remember the person at the record store was saying, this guy was saying, like, no, we don't have that one. But I'm not sure if, if that's when I bought Abbey Road or... I forget exactly which one. I, maybe it was Ab. I think that may be when I got Abbey Road. I remember I was seeking out Beatles stuff, and um, there was a real early Beatles fest. It was in Secaucus, New Jersey, and I remember going there. It was amazing, um, and I did find you know as I as, you know I'm still in the midst of my tape land project. It's mass numbers of tapes I still have to go through. 
But I found a tape I recorded in 1990, I believe it was 90, where I, I just, I talked about, oh, I just went to this Beatles fest. Oh, I wish I had talked about it more. But I do remember, I think I bought some 8-track tapes, maybe some Ringo Starr 8-track tapes or something. I remember there was a really good Beatles cover band. The guys, they made no attempt to look like the Beatles. They all just wore these, like, white suits, almost like white jumpsuits or something. But they were, like, they could play any song. They even had, like, a, they had, like, a one of those fireman's bells for that one song. I think for Penny Lane, maybe. Um, amazing. And then <laughs> something that was a remarkable moment uh, that I didn't even realize how significant it was, Jerry Marsden was there. He, he he was just sitting there in this little conference room at the hotel they were having the uh, Beatles Fest at. And as you know, Jerry Marsden was sort of like Jerry and the Pacemakers was had equal popularity with the Beatles for a time. They also were from Liverpool. And uh, he was there. I think he had a guitar. I think he sang Ferry Cross the Mercy and stuff. I didn't realize how historic that was because um, they actually made – Jerry and the Pacemakers made a movie. It was a, bl- a black and white movie, very much inspired by A Hard Day's Night. And, um, yeah, that was an amazing event. You know, in fact, recently I, I rewatched A Hard Day's Night. That movie, I mean, if you want to talk about the Beatles have so many facets, so much going on. Um, <coughs> to me, A Hard Day's Night, the movie and the soundtrack, um, is so perfect in so many ways. It is just, I know that's sort of a contradiction in terms, but that movie is just unbelievable because the writing is just incredible. And all the Beatles uh, playing themselves uh, did a fantastic job and is just a jaw-dropping masterpiece. And that was, what, 64? Um, Of course, their movie-making after that (coughs) never lived up to that. I think Help... I have not watched Help for a while, but Help <coughs> definitely. Um, I mean, obviously, the music is all incredible. All the Beatles' music is incredible, um, but I think the it, you know the movie just kind of it just was not good. It was not as good. And then, of course, yeah, I'd have to say you need to see Help again. Help is not dismissible like that. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen it, when you saw it, why the negative impression. It's maybe not as good as Hard Day's Night, but you're talking about Magical Mystery Tour? (laughs) At least that's the way I... I, And I didn't realize that you came on so late, but even you have these specific memories attached to to this discovery of the Beatles. Pardon me. Oh, man. I've been eating again, I confess. Um, and uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers. I, it's back to, like, the, I remember that record they had. It was on the United Artists album. It was called Ferry Cross the Mersey. And my aunt, the same aunt that took me to Hard Day's Night, bought it. And it was in the record rack there and I'm sure I played it any number of times and I of course I knew the song Ferry Cross the Mersey as a kid although let's face it he interesting a good catchy tune not a Beatles song so there's that 
Um, and uh, it's, it's completely unrelated but pertinent to the discussion of music of this era and this whole idea. I mean, the Beatles were the beginning of music coming over from way over there in England. Because before that, I know Mr. Acker, Bilk, there were a few acts who, you know, got a record or two here. But it, 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 we did not have this musical interchange. And it, it, the, the floodgates opened. They had like Jerry and the Pacemakers and a zillion other bands into this very day. Uh, and incomprehensibly high percentage of our music considering the population differential and all that comes out of England and uh, one of the greats that I just found Jeff Beck of any number of the, but the Yardbirds notably and his solo career the Jeff Beck group his work with Rod Stewart uh, he has moved on and yep, it's happening with an alarming frequency lately of uh, these legends that I grew up with who, yeah, they were a little older than me, but, uh, and now they're, ooh, <laughs> yeah, the age is coming. Uh, I, I will not be a permanent fixture on this planet, I'm certain, but the idea that uh, I am on the downslide is kind of a fascinating way of uh, approaching things. Wow. Yep, I'm a grandpa. I'm, I'm an old guy already, and I just, some, it's part of my brain is still like, oh, oh the Beatles were just yesterday, right? Anyways, back to the, the, the real stuff, and here's Frank again. There was uh, Magical Mystery Tour, which is a TV special. And actually, at that Beatles Fest, they showed Magical Mystery Tour. They had, like, a film of it. They had, like, a 16-millimeter film of it. That's the first time I saw Magical Mystery Tour. And as we know, Magical Mystery Tour is a big mess, but it's very interesting. Uh, Bonzo Dog Band performs Death Cab for Cutie in the movie. Uh, that's wild. Um, and, of course, again, the music was fantastic. And then there was Let It Be, the... Uh, the movie that was the footage of them recording what what would be sort of their uh <coughs> what would you say yeah they're they're like the album that became let it be which was their last released released album i believe but um but abbey road came out before that anyway uh of course we know that as PQ mentioned on the last Central, uh, was it last year, the uh, the Get Back TV special on Disney Plus came out, which Peter Jackson, the director, the Lord of the Rings guy, and many other things, he uh, he got access to all these, was it 70 or 80 hours of material, and he used all sorts of new technologies to isolate sounds, and he had audio, he had film, and put together... I think what turned out to be, what was it, sort of like 12 or 13 hours. I'd have to double check. I only watched it once. I, I, I would like to watch it again. I have to say, I just in I just completely enjoyed every second of it because I, uh, I'm so interested in that period of the Beatles. That was an amazing thing. And also, as PQ mentioned, they've been remixing 
a lot of the albums. I remember especially listening to the remixed uh, Sgt. Pepper's, which is sort of a reinvention of it. It's not meant to replace the original mix, but it's this sort of... Because they do have the multi-tracks and all that stuff, and they, they, they rebuilt and reconstructed it. And it was actually super interesting. They've been doing a lot of reissues, and, and, and just about all the tracks that are available have come out. Of course, there was the... Uh, the um what was the thing called Beatles anthology and um that came out in the 90s i was all over that when that came out and you know they had the two new songs which were stuff john lennon had recorded before he died the, the remaining beatles um played over it it was like real love was the second one was the first one uh oh, i can't remember at the moment but you you know what i'm talking about um Hold on, I'll think of it. Ah, it's, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. And I thought there were three CDs. I thought they would have three new songs, but there were only two. Um, but and wasn't there a project where someone was going to try to recreate the songs that were sort of hinted at and get back? Yeah, I don't know. But there's still one big song that was publicly performed once. It wasn't performed. It was played on tape called Carnival of Light, right? And uh, it was like sort of a freak out kind of psychedelic uh, track. I think it was like 20 minutes long or 15 minutes long or something. And they were going to release it at some point. But um, I don't know if it was George Harrison, if he was still alive or whoever's in charge of his estate, like said, no, don't release Carnival of Light. So that's and I, and, and um, I know if you go on YouTube and stuff, you'll uh, Paul McCartney. Well. We'll get to the whole Paul McCartney thing, but the current Paul McCartney uh, talks about it and basically, you know, yes, we have this song and, you know, it has never been released. And so that is the final big song, I think, that everyone's waiting for. There, there could be many other smaller things, but the big one, Carnival of Light. So there was some sort of festival or weird, like, light show performance somewhere in England where they did play Carnival of Light. So people did hear it, but... Whoever was there heard it, and that's the last time that has been heard. And there's a lot of fakes out there and stuff. Um, but everything about the Beatles is, like, super, super fascinating. And another l- sort of lost aspect is are the Christmas records, which I don't think have ever been officially re-released, but you can find them online. <clears throat> Those are pretty interesting, too, because, you know, when when you get to the fringes of Beatles stuff, like there's this kind of almost like an, an amateurishness or the really the crack show and that right and so the christmas albums were kind of weird and crappy in some way but this it's really cool and i remember listening i had them on cassette and i remember listen i was in the new york city subway system and i was um listening to the one of the christmas albums and i heard uh, this song that I knew as the Main Street Electrical Parade from the from the Disney theme parks. It goes dan and I freaked out. I'm like, what the hell? Are they time travelers? But it turns out um that song was originally it's Disney adapted the song Baroque Hoedown uh by who was it by Perry and Kingsley or one of those early Moog artists, the synthesizer artists. And I think George Harrison was playing around with his uh, Moog synthesizer and and played that or played just that. Right. Uh, And uh, that was a real freak out, man. 
Yeah, because I remember I used to, there used to be this guy on Spring Street that sold like bootleg tapes, and I bought everything he had by the Beatles. There was a, something called the Black Album, which was a lot of the outtakes from the Get Back session, like that one thing where John Lennon goes as he's counting in, instead of one, two, three, four, he's like Sugar Plum Fairy, Sugar Plum Fairy. That's <laughs> great. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I've just been hugely into them and i mean i remember on the overnight scape i used you know during those andy kaufman days i used to joke every episode of the show i talk about three things the beatles time travel and andy kaufman <laughs> uh well i don't talk about andy kaufman that much anymore though i i, I but the other two topics I, I usually do mention quite a bit on the show beatles and time travel i've 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 even had dreams where i uh where i'm i'm a member of the beatles and I'm like, but I have like no musical ability. So like I go on the stage and I'm like a member of the Beatles, but I'm like, I don't, I have, I was like a, playing guitar. I'm like, I really don't know how to play this. Like, what am I going to do? And the curtain rises and I'm like one of the Beatles. I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to play. <laughs> but um, the Beatles phenomenon is fascinating in a number of ways. And... um I've fairly recent in the recent years I've been talking about a theory about the Beatles, which is that the uh, it's it's sort of an overarching theory which relates to Paul is dead. That in this 1960s there was some kind of a, a plan to sort of change society, alter society using music. And I think the Beatles were a part of that, right? This is a pure speculation. It's a conspiracy theory. But it all, in more recent years, I've really gotten into a theory by this guy named Rupert Sheldrake, who has a, has a scientific theory, some would call it pseudoscience, called morphic resonance, right? So the idea that... Um, it's a, that every, everyone's minds are kind of connected to this central system in some way. That's just a simple way of putting it, and that um, if other people are familiar with something and then you encounter it, if other people are already familiar with it, you'll pick up that information from that uh, that collective system, right? And it'll be that much more meaningful to you. And in retrospect, my... Uh, fandom, my, my own Beatlemania, my own getting into the Beatles, I feel like the meaning of everything related to the Beatles, so the music, the personalities of the four members of the Beatles, of course there's more than four, there's, you know, there's always been like a fifth Beatle, you know, there's uh, obviously the early Beatles, Do Sutcliffe, he, he passed away early on. Um, there was... Um, uh, uh, Pete Best, right, was the drummer, and he was the drummer for the Beatles for quite a while in their early days when they went to Hamburg and, you know, were playing like all night, every night. In fact, I remember uh, a, a, a great memory. I, I got a Mac Plus in 1989, one of those one of those early Macintoshes, and I decided to upgrade from one megabyte of RAM to four megabytes, and I took it to this guy down in Somerville, New Jersey. Who had a little computer shop, and he was able to crack open my uh, my Mac and, and add the the RAM, which really did help. And he was a German guy, and he had 
he was like a stagehand who worked at the club in Hamburg with the Star Club, and he was he he said he was uh, he was there when the Beatles were there, so he knew the Beatles at the time when they were playing at that club. And the one thing he said was like uh, Paul was kind of a slob. He would like he would make tea, then just throw the tea bags in the sink because someone else had to clean it up. There's a little bit of uh, information about the Beatles that maybe no one else has, you know. Um, but anyway, back back to what I was saying the uh, the idea that um, the more people that uh, are familiar with something, the more meaningful it's going to be for people that not now encounter it. And this phenomenon, right? If you if you understand morphic resonance, right, you could plan and you had contr- you had access to major media and big money that you could create something like the Beatles with the with morphic resonance in mind, right? That is promote it and uh, obviously it's not going to work if the music is not great and uh it it can basically you're basically hacking into the worldwide human society using morphic resonance to achieve some sort of goal, right? Now, as far as the music itself, I had a theory about this from around the 2009 era when I was on FMU. Um, it was an, a theory of uh, was a theory of mine that was very unique to that time period for me, but I thought it was really interesting, and it related to the music of the Beatles, and it was um, that the Beatles didn't write that music. That well, let, let me give you my whole theory. This is not a theory that I particularly hold much... I don't don't think this theory carries much weight. Boy, you're gonna carry that weight. No, 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 no. (laughs) Carry that weight a long time. Anyway, the theory was that on Earth there was a previous civilization, you know, something like Atlantis that crashed out and the civilization collapsed, but they had the technology to record audio and they had all sorts of music recorded from maybe 10,000 years ago. And that, again, this echelon of control, the people, the idea is there's a secret society, an Illuminati, whatever, that had access to the cultural records of that Atlantean society, including all the music. So they had like, thousands of years of the best of the best music to draw from, the idea is that they would have these recordings of songs, sort of like the pop songs of today, but it was being sung in a different language. The idea is that they basically wanted to... Well, let's get, well, we'll get to that in a minute, like why, what this theory was all about, but they basically... They, so that they, um, they found a group that was promising and took them under their wing and involved them in this project and then started to give them these songs, right? Secretly give them these songs, adding lyrics to them, and the Beatles would then sing and perform them, right? So it could go one of two ways in terms of morphic resonance. The one way would be that um, it was all done without any 
access to the field itself, but just by doing these things, creating this group with this music they know is better than any other music out there, and then carefully um, planning the campaigns of the public hearing the music and the legend of the members of the band, basically hacking the uh, morphic field that way. Or there may have been uh, the possibility that they could insert things into this morphic field directly. So the Beatles, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, and the way they look and the way they talk and their personalities, and the music was just sort of directly injected into the morphic field, right? So why would they do this? So I think the idea was that they wanted to alter the entire world's culture and society. And it seems that it was a plan that was in place, but which towards the end of the 60s, they pulled back and kind of abandoned the plan, right? You see what I'm saying? So the plan was seemed to involve what we know, what we think of as the hippie culture, right? Especially involving drugs and psychedelic drugs like LSD to create a new kind of society, right? Now, one one side, one theory of this would be that um the youth now g- turning inwards and becoming this this new kind of hippieish psychedelic society would not be protesting uh any any of this war the, the the endless wars that were coming up right obviously after the atomic bomb traditional world wars were kind of would be harder to sell right because you know it it, it would just escalate to the point that there'll be a, a full-scale thermonuclear war so they obviously they the military industrial complex were planning on limited wars as we saw Vietnam and then the endless, you know, Iraq War 1, Iraq War 2, that's not really what they're called, the Gulf Wars, um Afghanistan, all all this other stuff, right? That uh young people who had who, who were sort of pushed into this new kind of phase would be so kind of this sort of hedonistic druggy society uh, looking inwards into the mind and stuff would not be in any position to protest the war and it would sort of allow them infinite warfare. That's one theory as to why they did this. Another theory, which is really a completely different, uh, one that I like a lot more that I, I've talked about a few times in recent months on the Overnightscape, is that um, they were going to open up our world to the interdimensional society. That is, the theory that our world is one of thousands or tens of thousands of worlds interconnected uh, interdimensionally, and that most of the other worlds knew of, know about the existence of other worlds, and they're actually able to, to go between these worlds. But our world, for whatever reason, that information has been suppressed, and we're not allowed to know about it, and clearly not allowed to go to the other worlds. The idea is that they were planning on opening the gates and introducing Earth to interdimensional society around 1970 and that this 
Beatles project and other projects related to this were meant to start to change society to be to be able to accept the interdimensional society more, right? But it seems like either one of those plans was something that was planned but kind of got shut down by about 1970. So the idea is whatever the intention behind the plan was, that the Beatles were much more than what we think they were. They were actually a massive project using uh, incredible technologies and using mass resources to um, change society. And that is why the, the the whole Beatles thing feels so different than any other phenomenon that we've known um, in music or in culture, really. And this now relates, to, of course, to uh, Paul is Dead. You knew I was going to get to this one. Um, <coughs> the idea is that in 1966, this plan was very far along. They were heavily invested in this plan, and it was still going in '66. The idea is that after, you know, as far as we know, this is just, you know, the, the, this is the best we know. After a late night recording session, Paul McCartney um, gets in, a, in his car and to drive home and winds up getting killed in a car accident, right? And uh, instead of announcing the news to the world, unfortunately, Paul McCartney died because it was in the midst of this much larger project, those in control of of the project decided that they would replace Paul with a lookalike. Now, I know everyone knows the basics of this theory, that that they chose a guy that Billy Billy Campbell is the name that uh, people normally use, that uh, had, you know, looked similar to Paul, and then they started to... um, do plastic surgery and and back then the visual references that were available you might see them on tv but the tv sets were a lot fuzzier and less clear there were photo magazines and stuff but there were not the resources we have today to sort of scrutinize endless images and videos of the beatles in this case so um they brought on this new person who i would say from my (laughs) very deep investigations onto this matter they brought in billy who really didn't look a whole lot like Paul, but people be, people came to know him as Paul McCartney, right? Now when we add in the uh, p- potentially the greater resources at, at the command of this group that was behind the project, that um, this Paul replacement uh, could have been created in a variety of ways uh, could actually have been a you know one, one of the wilder theories i came up with was that it was literally a clone of paul right that they cloned paul um you either using a technology where they're able to sort of um what would you say like uh well the cloning we have today is that you could uh clone someone but then they'd have to that embryo would have to be carried in, in a woman's womb and you know a person's womb what hey listen it's 2023 a person's womb okay um and be born so how the heck would that work 
So I was thinking they could uh, have had Paul born in a t- in a in a reality where time was running much faster, and they could raise that that person would be raised from birth to the year whatever age twenty twenty five whatever, and and that could happen in the course of a month or two in another timeline where time was running faster. That of course is a bit of a fanciful theory. Um, other than that, I have often theorized that. Uh, in the, say like the Christian religion where they talk about being reborn in heaven the idea is that they have a, a technology in the next world over quote unquote heaven where you can um, where they can sort of as you've seen so often in science fiction some sort of vat filled with green liquid and they can actually grow uh, an adult copy of someone's body right that would have been another and possibly Paul's, uh, you know, soul could have gone into that, or it could have been a di- total, a different soul or consciousness that went into that body. Um, so it may have been a clone. I know we're getting into some pretty fringe territory here, but hear me out. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, in all of my research, simply based on um, visual, visuals, the voice, the personality. I have seen so many videos. There are still videos out there of the original Paul. Of course, the original Paul is in Hard Day's Night and in Help, and you can see the original Paul. Um, I do think he was replaced. And the reason they did it is because it was such an important project to them, right? Why the hell would they do it otherwise? I mean, it's it, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Now... I didn't even mention the other part of the Paul is Dead thing, which if you're familiar with it, you already know. At the time, in 67, I would say, the idea that Paul was dead was huge. It was all over the place, right? And then in the music and the album artwork and all the subsequent albums after 66, there were endless references to Paul being dead, right? backwards mask like backwards sections paul is a dead man miss him miss him miss him right that that was at the end of i'm so tired on the white album right okay hold on hold on wait 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 one second now now and this is for me an aha moment for your paul mccartney theories and why you feel that way uh if you're chronologically way off um Yes, Paul McCartney is alleged to have passed in 1966 sometime, I believe, is the theory. But the first time anybody suggested that Paul McCartney was dead with all the theories and playing the records backwards, that was after Abbey Road was already released. I don't know if that helps your theory or not, or but you're, no, this was not something that the people were wondering from the time of like Sergeant Pepper on or Rubber Soul on. No, this was not occurring. Nobody said, oh, Paul doesn't look like Paul anymore. Yes, they'd stopped doing live performances in 1966, but they made film clips for their and it wasn't like they hit all together they made media appearances um notably i believe an interview on the david frost show 
but that I may have that also out of chronology. But uh, I did need to stop there and point that out because that's you're operating unless I'm misunderstanding. It, it, this whole Beatles and Paul is dead. It was with them on the cover, walking across with Paul barefoot. In that era, people started talking about all the clues and that Paul was dead. From my distinct recollection, of course, I could be, again, the I, I could be one big Mandela effect for all we know. And going back, I got some notes here as long as I'm here. I'm, I, I love the Christmas records, and I'm not sure why. They, that they're almost like they're very goon show influenced. If you're familiar with the Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan stuff, that that's right up there. They're, they're almost uh, stealing a little, but it was a huge influence on everybody in that day. Spike Milligan, what a genius! And I lived through an era uh, of Beatle bootleg records and i probably i owned a small stack of them i mean that there were all the bbc recordings which were not in release uh there and you had to buy these records that people made god knows where on a record press with mixed quality but this was the way you could get these songs and it was the beatles the deca audition album i remember finally finding and owning um I guess that's officially released by now someplace. And, of course, any of these demos, horrible scratchy tapes, scratchy tapes, hissy tapes, and poor recordings. Uh, Yeah, albums loaded with that stuff, as well as the occasional piece that probably wasn't recorded by the Beatles, but somebody tossed it on there as, like, some bonus juice. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love your idea of instead of like a cloned Paul that was raised from a cell and they made a baby, the, the homunculus pawn, like like a golem pawn, Paul rather, that, 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 that would make a great movie if nothing else. I mean, Paul dies in a car crash and they have this crafted shell that looks like Paul McCartney and they put his soul into Now that. That's all mystical and magical. That 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 carries a little weight with me. I, I kind of, I like how that feels as I try it on. You hear this sort of mumbling. You play it backwards. Paul's dead man. I think that's John saying that. And then he says, miss him. And then George says, miss him. And Ringo's like, miss him. Right? Uh, and this is a whole other topic of all the public stuff that they did that Absolutely is referencing Paul being dead, you know. Um, <clears throat> Come together right now over me. That's the three remaining Beatles at Paul's gravesite coming together over him. Endless, endless references like that. So <clears throat> this could relate to a theory that this group that is, you know, Illuminati-ish group, they have uh, some kind of rule that they're not allowed to uh they're not allowed to deceive blatantly they can't just lie about something they have to tell the truth but they they can tell the truth in a very roundabout way so if you could say 
they're admitting the truth in the music, and obviously the guy looks different, they can say that, well, anyone with any kind of sense could, could see what actually happened, and we're not really lying because it's obvious. We're admitting it in the music. The guy looks different, so, you know, that might satisfy their law that they have like you might say they're sort of like like in dungeons and dragons terms they're like lawful evil you know they're evil but they they follow they have to follow all these rules and laws and stuff um but you know that can explain it so to me all these theories i mean paul is dead to me is uh only adds to the appeal and the mystery and the, the multifaceted nature of the beatles right and then these deeper questions uh, really kind of uh, make it all the more interesting. Oh, I just I just remembered one of the movies I forgot was Yellow Submarine, which I which I did watch a couple years ago, a really good copy of, and uh, that is an amazing movie as well, which the Beatles were in briefly at the end, on, in live action, but they didn't even do the voices of themselves in the movie. But it's a very, it's a very great, it's a great animated movie. So that that that's another great one. And of course, the music, all mu- all of the music, all the time is just universally great. Um, of course, uh, you can hear on one of my real early audio productions, the hunt for Yellow October, where we can combine Yellow Submarine with uh, with uh, the hunt for Red October. <laughs> I played that on the other side recently too, a few months ago. <laughs> But, of course, around 1970, the Beatles broke up. And I think that, that uh, the Get Back TV special, or the TV series, um, kind of shed some more light on the breakup and what, uh, what was going on. But it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I'm, I have not delved into all of the four Beatles and the music they produced after that, right? Because all four of them did go on to have solo careers. And in fact, in the early years of that, the, the, the songs that were coming out from all of them really were, a lot of them were songs that were considered for Beatles songs that were redone. Paul McCartney's solo stuff and George Harrison, John Lennon and Ringo. Um, <clears throat> in fact, there's a website called Albums That Never Were I think it's still up. It's on Blogspot, I think. Albums that never were. And it was... um, The guy produced something like six or eight theoretical additional Beatles albums using the solo material. And it's really, really interesting stuff. I I remember I downloaded all of them at one point. I was trying to find it. I have to find that. Uh, That's some really interesting stuff. But I'd say that John Lennon especially... Because he, he only lived for another 10 years after that, right? And in the context of the theory I'm talking about, it could explain some of the weirdness. Now, first of all, I think John Lennon's solo stuff, in general, if he really was writing these songs, his solo stuff should have been a lot better, I think, in terms of my understanding of his solo work. Now, I know the influence of Yoko Ono can be... Um, you know, blamed for 
the sort of downfall of his music. And I don't know if anyone else agrees with that, but I think, like, had he really written those songs, how did he lose such songwriting ability? And in this theory, it's that he didn't really write the songs in the first place. And I know that 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 theory kind of goes, you know, sort of goes against the story of these four lads from Liverpool that were these musical geniuses and they rose to worldwide fame, you know, where Jerry Marsden and all these all these others kind of crashed out and weren't even like a a fraction of what the Beatles were. But uh, if you look at Paul McCartney, it almost looks, it almost seemed like he had quite a bit of music after that that was more in the Beatles' vein and a bit better in terms of its, uh, you know, it, it, more Beatles-esque, right? And, I, and even the George Harrison stuff, I'm not super familiar with his solo work. Um, I, I remember his work with the Traveling Wilburys, though. I got my mindset. No, was that was that Beatles? Was that a, his solo thing? Handle me with care. That was that. That was the Traveling Wilburys. But George Harrison had that one album in the eighties where one song, "When We Was Fab," right? And then Ringo. I don't even know about Ringo's stuff. I, I haven't listened to much of his solo stuff. Anyway, right now, as far as we know, two of the Beatles are dead and two are still alive. Right? Ringo and Paul are still alive. George and John have passed away. Um, and, of course, I think the original Paul also passed away. Who were some other of the fifth Beatles? Like, uh, what, one really interesting thing is um, Billy Preston, right, who performed on, I think, some of the Abbey Road stuff. I think George brought him in. So the theory there is that, uh, I mean, as you might imagine... I think how would the other three Beatles have reacted? Their friend Paul just died and their handlers tell them, listen, we're going to replace Paul and we're going to pretend. So basically he didn't die. He's going to keep going. We're going to bring in a replacement. Can you imagine what it would have been like for them to deal with that? And, In a traditional sense, what? Why the hell wouldn't they have spoken out? Why wouldn't they have just called a press conference immediately? Listen, Paul died in a car accident, and you know they're trying to replace him, but it's not really him. <laughs> why wouldn't they just do that? They must have felt pressured, threatened not to talk, right? So I think, in in the theory I'm weaving here, is that uh. They already knew before Paul died that they were involved with something very bizarre and these high powers and stuff. So I think they knew not to, uh, you know, they couldn't do that. They had to go along with it, but they weren't happy about it. So the idea was that the guy that replaced Paul was named Billy. So George Harrison brought in his own Billy, Billy Preston. As sort of a weird in-joke or, or a weird reference to that Paul is now... Billy, that he brought in another Billy. <laughs> and of course, there's other Bills involved. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill. Right, so Bungalow Bill would have been um, 
you know, Billy Campbell, the fake Paul. What did you kill? You know, you killed the band, you know, you, you know, you killed any dreams that, you know, killed, you know, he didn't kill Paul, but anyway, I love these theories. It's, it's fun. It's, it's really fun to think about and try to figure out it's, there's, a, there's so many different facets to it. And I even, I think I wrote, I wrote a poem about, um, the white album and, uh, yeah, I may have actually read that on one of, one of the previous centrals, but let me find that. I was listening. I, w- I remember I was commuting into New York City on the uh, on the train, and I had white the White Album on a cassette tape, and I just listened to it over and over again. And I was hugely into it. And I wrote that poem <laughs> about the White Album. I think I know where to find it. Let me l- l- let me just pause and uh, let's let's. We're, we're no longer fireside. We're we're in the studio here. All right, let me find that. I, it's a, I mean, it's bad poetry, but it's uh, interesting for this topic. Yes, I found it. I think it's from 1990-ish. And I think I wrote it on the train after I was listening to the White Album. It's, it's I have not, I, I, yeah, let me just read it to you. I don't know. Uh, let me just look ahead here. Uh, is this the right one? I don't know. Hmm. All right, n- now I'm getting confused because... <clears throat> All right, at least read this one. I, this is the one I thought was inspired by the White Album. It's called Fool of Albumen. <clears throat> All right, let me recite my poem here. <clears throat> Ambler jambler, mental jaunter of eld, this queer sojourn, I like the earth, how many cars, beyond full blast, ho oh yes, almost 1990, only 14 days to go. Well, there you go, that gives you the date. <laughs> Let me get back to the poem here. Harried isn't but a warm, Jove says, so it is, I guess, mathematicac, my dear, greats songed, talked to me, pulled me, tune best. Red hill of garbage outside, 13 days, 7 hours, 48 minutes, 40 seconds. I so tried. I wrote it. I training to New York. New York, actually, to see a nail or a girl or what. Search the Kursk the cigarette walls built. He pad genius. Also, I'm going to see an old pal. Now a, f- a fella pig. End of me. A weary backsniffies. Heard it once. That bricks and her pranks. Honor, utter, cider, pavement, a while, new years. And I'm such a hit. Poetic justice is nice. Ho, black awk as we enter the tunnel. To my bigger cat, my body and car, 1447, as is my mind, too. For freshers, candles, wicks. Could we cancel both news out and just say, from point to point to boint, boint, no! That's the end land. Pigs are cool. The real one that pushed Bazitard over the edge. So I haven't been a hammer to her for over a week, and it's needling me. I'm looking forward to seeing her this evening. We have surfaced one more time docking, commencing, proceeding slowly, trains slowing with igneous rate, a Gibbons book of holly stillity. 
now Birgenanped, Slupus, Spook, and Loom. Now I must, I say salutations to all the future me's reading this. Be a ruler, not a ruled. Yes, crappy poetry from a young adult. I, I always remember that word hollystility. It's like hostility, but with holly, hollystility. I remember that word a lot. Anyway, I told you it was bad, but I thought that I really thought there was there was one that had more Beatles stuff in there. But I, I don't know. I think that was it. I can keep looking for the next the next uh, part two of of Beatles. But uh, anyway. I love the Beatles, as you can tell, and all these crazy theories and all sorts of fun stuff. Turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. Back to PQ, back to PQ. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one of my favorites. Got that really loud back in the day. Ooh, yeah. Uh, a few more notes here. Um, as a songwriter, I have to say, I don't see a strict and awful decline in the quality of songwriting per se uh, for any of them. I mean, George wrote some of his best stuff after the Beatles. John... Yes, there was a lot of the Yoko Ono uh, shrieking stuff, but he did a lot of interesting songs, and uh, he did that album of covers, which isn't so bad. Uh, the, the Lennon, his songwriting was fine for somebody who had hit such heights. I mean, I, I compared to Dylan. Uh, yeah, Dylan had his best years, but then he kept writing songs for another million years after that. And it was like one out of a hundred Dylan songs written in the last three decades is not a clinker. I can almost confidently say, and yes, he still does get a song out now and then, but it's, I mean, and who knows how many we never hear that are never released as far as all that goes. So, yeah, that. That's not the strongest evidence anyways. And I don't know. I like the theories. I like the clues. But that guy, he's just not different enough. He's a very talented left-handed bass player, which in and of itself, I don't know. Has anybody compared the uh, voice prints like that guy from Wings of Pegasus does. He has some sort of thing that literally can measure such things. So that, who knows? I I am not an expert. I'm going from my gut too. So I, I, I'm not going to debate who's, my gut's smarter than your gut. No, no, no. And that uh, this has given me an interesting but maybe scary idea and you can give me feedback on this next week and i I expect many more of you to jump in for part two Uh, and that means you and you 
you got something to say about the Beatles, some input here. This is it. And uh, speaking of which, there may be more because I want input on this too. Maybe it would be interesting to one by one go through all of the Beatle albums together, separate, whatever. I mean, this could also, there could be exit ramp adjuncts. I mean, this is a topic that keeps giving no matter how you slice it. But the, the Beatle albums and then... The solo careers, one by start with Ringo, and then George, and then John, and then Paul, is my intuitive sequencing, but however that would work. Um, there's a lot of meat there on those bones, and there's also some stuff, and I think from all of them, I think... I mean, if you want consistent quality, probably George Harrison's albums are... Like if you had to, if you had to pick one to listen to all their albums, uh, I would steer you towards George, uh, Paul. There's just so much, and yes, there's some stuff in there that it it might not be to all tastes. Uh, John, because of the Yoko connection, some of the stuff John was associated with in his after Beatles career, uh, to me at least. It's just, it's not listenable. Uh, all that music they ripped off from Frank Zappa. Uh, it, it, well, that's a whole other story. But it's not. It's not. Uh, Paul, I mean, there's, there's some gold. Uh, even in his more recent solo albums, there were a couple tracks on, what, McCartney 3, I think it was, that I thought were really good especially for what he's 400 years old now uh and he and he's the fake paul and he's still i mean all of his solo albums were apparently done by billy and you know what hey that billy's a mighty talented guy all everything else aside i mean if i'm gonna buy in and yes this is not the original paul mccartney this He's credible. He may have been actually better over a long haul than the original uh, wearing out uh, Paul McCartney. It's hard to say. But if we take that 1966 date, the LSD Paul McCartney Paul is not the Paul who did... uh, well, she was just 17. I saw her standing there, yeah. Well, she was just 17. Oh, man. Now, you want to talk about a visceral moment in musical history, my dear friends? Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember that one, and I saw her standing there. were like, at the same time, just on the radio all the time, and... I was three years old. Well, anyways, we're going to talk a lot more about the Beatles. Uh, If we don't do this crazy uh, album review thing, which, God, that could take up well into 2024 if we are um, diligent and stick to that. But, uh, hey, I won't have to think about uh, central topics for a very long time. 
is the other side of that. So, yeah, we go both ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know what the topic is for next week. And um, the deadline, just in case, uh, yeah, I guess there is a deadline. And we are trying to get these back. We're, we're, we are going to concede Wednesdays at this point. While I would like to get them back to Mondays, um, Wednesday somehow has become the day. So Wednesday is Central Day for the time being. And next Wednesday being the 18th of January, I believe. Yes, 2023. Uh, get your entry in before um, dinner time, let's say on that date and uh we will all meet here together and talk more about the fabulous four those mop tops the beatles oh man this is this this was fun and uh next time like i say i'm expecting more of you to step up i didn't give you a hell of a lot of uh you know heads up time this time around but that's part two and we gave you stuff to bounce off of so you literally i mean if you just want to say come on come on pq paul's dead would you just come on this time this conspiracy theory frank is right cut it out or vice versa or whatever or tell us all that your favorite beatles song is the long and winding road and how dare i bring it on anyways with that between now and then uh listen to everything on the overnight scape underground at onsug.com i mean come on you get your shambles constant uh, you get your dave in kentucky and his sermons frank's there uh and our new guy who hasn't uh, from arlen who has yet to um jump in to the central mess yeah you why don't you jump in and tell us a little about the beatles why don't you with that um i'm signing out and uh, everybody together let's set the controls for the heart of the fun <laughs>